0: Thank you and welcome to Scripture on Creation. I'm Scott Kump. And I'm Dr. Ben Scripture. Dr. Scripture, you were invited to speak at a church a few weeks ago, and they were studying the book of Genesis. Good for them. (laughs) And they had gotten to Genesis chapter 6, so they
1: asked if you would give a presentation on the flood. Yes, Scott. Genesis chapter 6 is where the flood account begins, and it extends all the way through the middle of chapter 9. Three and a half chapters, a total of 87 verses. It gives you a sense that God felt the record of those events in Noah's day were pretty important.
0: Well, yes, given, for example, that the account of creation is just 56 verses in two chapters.
1: (laughs) So, of course, I was happy to teach on the flood, both from the biblical account and from the scientific perspective, considering evidence for the global flood. But I included the perspective from one other scientific discipline— or maybe more accurately put, from a literary discipline that I don't often present. I talked about the prevalence of flood stories in the different cultures of the world.
0: Ah, yes, I've heard of a number of cultures from around the world that have some version of a huge flood in their accounts of history, but Dr. Scripture,
1: those accounts are usually absurd and completely unbelievable. Well, that's true, but the fact and there's no denying the existence of these flood stories in the literature of numerous cultures, the fact that there is a collective memory of a flood, distorted as it is, lends credence not only to the historicity of the event, but to its global nature. In fact, the entire world being flooded and the death of almost all humanity, except for those who escape on some sort of watercraft, is essentially the unifying factor amongst all the accounts.
0: Well, if cultures that are spread around the world tell of a common event in their distant past,
1: that would fit with what we would expect based on the account in Genesis. Indeed, it would. And it definitely does, and in some remarkable ways. So what I want to do in the program today is present some of the accounts from other cultures besides the Hebrew one. And I'll be sharing, even quoting some, from an excellent resource on this subject. It's a book written by Charles Martin entitled Flood Legends, Global Clues of a Common Event. Charles Martin has collected a wealth of information, including translating some of the accounts into English himself. He includes information from over 13 different regions of the world that have flood legends. Now, we'll definitely not have time to consider them all today, but Scott, can you think of one of the flood stories from a culture other than the Jewish one? Well, the one that immediately comes to my mind is from Greek mythology. (laughs) Yeah, I know you have a special interest in Greco-Roman mythology. That's true. So go ahead and tell us about the Greek version of the flood.
0: Well, it involves Prometheus and Pandora, who are probably familiar with those who have some knowledge of Greek mythology. Mm -hmm. Deucalion was Prometheus' lesser-known son, and he was married to Pyrrha, who was the daughter of Pandora. Well, Prometheus tells Deucalion that Zeus is going to destroy all mankind with a flood, Uh and that he should build a wooden chest so he and Pyrrha can survive. So Deucalion does this, and he and his wife are saved, but all the rest of mankind was destroyed. Hmm. Now, there are other details that would be relevant to compare with the biblical account,
1: but it seems to me that the global nature of the Greek flood story is obvious. that's excellent. Thanks, Scott. Martin does go into some of those details in the Greek story. And one detail in particular that I thought especially interesting was how Zeus flooded the world. In Zeus' first attempt to destroy all the men of Greece, he opened the floodgates of the sky, and a terrible rain fell on the earth. But some people, besides Deucalion and Pyrrhus, survived. So Zeus gets angry, <laughs> hmm. <laughs> which I thought was rather curious. You mean he wasn't angry the first time he attempted to kill everyone? <laughs> no, he's really bad. <laughs> anyway, so the angry Zeus splits open the mountains and outpours water that floods the entire world. The interesting details of that aspect of the Greek story is the water of the flood came from two sources, the sky and the ground. Sound familiar, Scott? It sure does. Genesis
0: 7:11 describes the sources of the flood waters saying, "All the fountains of the great deep burst open and the floodgates of the sky were opened."
1: Yes, it's peculiar details like that that indicate a common literary or verbal connection between all the flood legends. The correlation between various specific details can't be explained by random chance. These stories have a common source. Now, it is ironic that evolutionists claim that living organisms formed as a result of random chance. But you know what they propose when they read the biblical account of the flood, Scott? Not coincidence. They claim (laughs) there definitely is a connection between it and at least one of the flood legends. But they say the Hebrew account copied the other. Hmm. Do you know which one I'm
0: talking about? Yes, I think you're referring to the Babylonian account called the Gilgamesh Epic.
1: That's it. A huge story written on 12 tablets from the ancient Babylonian civilization. It's the most famous flood story besides Noah's, and that's because the biblical skeptics have popularized it by claiming that the Babylonian account was written first, and then the Hebrews copied it. This, then, is supposed to repudiate any credibility the biblical story might have. The Gilgamesh epic has a lot of irrational stuff in it, physically speaking. It's obviously purely mythological. But just because the cuneiform tablets they found, with the stories engraved on them, are considered to be older than any extant Hebrew text, that doesn't have to mean that the Hebrew account is younger or copied from the Babylonian story. So let's consider some of the details in the story of Utna Pishtim, the Babylonian equivalent to Noah. I'm going to read Martin's introduction to the flood story portion of the Gilgamesh epic from his book, Flood Legends. Quote, At this point in the epic, Gilgamesh is seeking the secret to immortality. He hears that one man Utnapishtim Pishtim has achieved immortality by surviving a global flood. Hmm. Intrigued, Gilgamesh seeks out Utna Pishtim, who tells him the story unquote. Dr Scripture may I interrupt here? Yeah. So Gilgamesh is not, quote
0: unquote Noah in the story. Utna Pishtim is, and he's just
1: a small part of the entire Gilgamesh epic, right? That's right. Utna Pishtim, let's call him Utna for short. Thank you. Is the one who builds the boat and is saved from the flood. Utna, is that maybe related to Noah? They do seem to sound similar, but no, there's no relationship between the names. But there are many similarities between what they do and the events surrounding their flood experiences. To show the amazing amount of agreement between the accounts, I'm going to paraphrase what is listed in the book John Whitcomb and Henry Morris wrote, The Genesis Flood. Here are 12 parallels. Both accounts, one, state that the flood was divinely planned, two, that the impending disaster was divinely revealed to the hero of the events, three, they connect the flood to the depravity of the human race, four, the hero was divinely instructed to build a huge boat to preserve life, Five, the hero takes two of every kind of animal on board. Six, they both tell of the deliverance of the hero and his family. Seven, both accounts indicate the physical causes of the flood. Eight, they specify the duration of the flood. Nine, they name the landing place of the boat... 10. Tell of the sending forth of birds at certain intervals to ascertain the decrease of the water. And 11. Describe acts of worship by the hero after his deliverance. And finally, they tell of special blessings bestowed on the hero after the disaster. Wow. There is no way anyone could say that those two counts are not related. Well, for sure, Scott. But as I pointed out, which was first? Which could be original and which could be a distortion of an original? Of course, both could be versions of some other original. But using common sense and applying what Charles Martin calls the telephone principle to how verbal transmission gets distorted from the original communication, details of the Babylonian version are irrational, where the biblical version is reasonable. So what are some of the differences? The most significant is the gross polytheistic nature of the Gilgamesh epic, in contrast to the revelation of the one true God and his involvement in sending the flood. In the story about Utna, the gods are arguing with each other, and when the flood is over, Utna makes a sacrifice to them, and they all swarm over it as though they have been deprived of food.
0: Hmm. And that is one of the great contrasts between the Lord and man-made gods, which the Lord continually drives home to the Israelites. Hmm. He doesn't need their sacrifices as though he was hungry and they were supposed to feed him. He doesn't need anything.
1: That's right. For example, listen to Psalm 50, 12 through 14. The Lord is speaking. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all it contains. Shall I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of male goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. What the Lord wants is our love and obedience. But then, comparing details on the physical side of the stories, one of the most glaring problems in the Babylonian account is the dimensions of the boat. It is a cube, and also, it is not very large if it's going to carry all the pairs of animals, food, and cargo Utna must take with him. It was to be 30 cubits aside, that's about 45 feet long, high, and wide. Such a structure would be very unstable in rough water. You could even imagine it turning upside down or spinning like a beach ball in the water. But the dimensions God gave to Noah for the ark were about 450 feet long, 45 feet high, and 75 feet wide. Those are 30 by 3 by 5 proportions, which are still followed today by shipbuilders because they are the most stable relative dimensions for seagoing vessels. Finally, one other physical detail in Newton's story is the flood was caused only by rain that lasted seven days. The Babylonian account definitely indicates the entire world was flooded, so just seven days of rain hardly seems a reasonable source for enough water to cover the earth. And that's also in contrast to the
0: Greek version That did indicate the floodwaters came from both the sky and from
1: underground. That's right. So we've only considered two other cultures' flood stories and compared them to the biblical account, Greek and Babylonian legends. But already we've seen details in them that we can reasonably attribute to the events as they are recorded in the Bible. It's a global flood and all humanity except those on the watercraft perish in the flood. Now, here's a list of some of the other regions that have a flood story. Africa, Australia, British Columbia, Burma, China, Europe, India, Indonesia, New Guinea, North America, South America, and even more. How could all these civilizations all around the world have this in common? Well, they've all descended from the passengers on the ark and are the peoples who divided at the Tower of Babel when the Lord confused their language, forcing man to spread out across the globe. And another fascinating detail that many of the flood legends include is the development of the different languages after the flood. Really? I'd never heard that before. I'm looking forward to the next program. Well, good, Scott. And I'll conclude by reading from the original account (laughs) of the exchange between the one true creator God and Noah. After the Lord gave him the instructions on how to build the ark, let's read Genesis 7, 1 through 5. Then the Lord said to Noah, Enter the ark, you and all your household, for you alone I have seen to be righteous before me in this time. You shall take with you of every clean animal by sevens,
0: a male and his female, and of the animals that are not clean too, a male
1: and his female also of the birds of the sky by sevens, male and female, to keep offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For after seven more days, I will
0: send rain on the earth 40 days and 40 nights, and I will blot out from the face of the land
1: every living thing that I have made. And Noah did, according to all that the Lord had commanded him. And that's not what I say. That's what scripture says.